Two-time Olympic medalist Ruby Tui is a shining light for women's rugby. Named Blackfern Sevens Player of the Year in 2017 and World Rugby Sevens Player of the Year in 2019, she's part of the changing face of the game. She's helped put women's rugby in the spotlight and it's been a long time coming. But Ruby is used to pushing through despite the odds. Her story is inspiring. Now she's a big campaigner for mental health. Her awesome post-match interviews and sense of humour keep us all laughing and her popularity soaring. Ruby Tui joins me now. Kia ora, Ruby. Kia ora, Tala for Wendy. Um, Hello. Yeah, love your podcast and all the guests you've had on, so thank you so much for having me here today. Oh, well, look, it's a real privilege to have you today. You're part of a pretty exciting tournament right now, the inaugural Super Rugby Opiki Women's Competition. How is training with the Chiefs going? Oh, look, I, it's such a privilege to be in those camps. I often have moments of just pure gratitude running around with, you know, some of the best female rugby players we've ever had. I'm just, you know, I'm really proud of everyone who's gotten in behind this competition to make it happen. And what's it like playing 15 aside rather than seven? You said it was an uncomfortable decision to make. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, footy's footy. So lots of rugby players love any kind of form of the game, 10s, sevens, 15s, but it is different, like the positioning, you know, the breakdown. And there's all these bloody Fords that kind of, you know, are all, <laughs> all dotted around the place and you're trying to do your moves. So it is a, the spacing, space-wise, it's a little bit more to deal with. I guess it was uncomfortable for me personally just because I've played New Zealand sevens for the last bloody 10 years now and, you you know, you kind of get used to that. And so going back to 15s, it's like I feel like the rookie again, you know, like <laughs> I'm kind of the newbie again. But at the same time, I'm, I'm actually really enjoying that process and having amazing leaders to look up to. You know, Hazel Tubick, um, oh, I could just sit here and list, list the whole team, really. But awesome. it's, it's yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's a good uncomfortable. That's cool. And let's talk about the bigger picture, the introduction of a new super rugby competition. It's designed to help broaden the pathways for our top female rugby players. How important do you think this is for the future of rugby? The theory with super is four teams, much more condensed. So, you know, theoretically, the product we can give the people should be, a, you know, a lot better. Um, our, yeah, we haven't had much um, prep. We haven't played rugby in a little while, but I just I just back these women, eh? I just think there's some incredible 15s players in this country and they don't get the kudos they deserve. So, yeah, I think if everyone, you know, this is the first ever Sky Super Rugby Opiki. So if you are going to watch anything, watch this competition. It only goes for three weeks. And, you know, you can say you were a part of history, the first ever women's super comp. It's, it's actually pretty, pretty momentous, you know. It's totally momentous. And also, I guess you guys are dealing with COVID. The tournament's been moved. The game condensed. So many changes with COVID over the last couple of years. How have you coped with that? Yeah, it's funny because I think, everyone can kind of relate to that you know like everybody's had to change their job plans or their daycare plans or their school plans um so yeah footy's no different I guess we just kind of have to tell the media what we do <laughs> but it um yeah it's changed the competition drastically this year um men's and women's really for super it's, it's not easy um you sign up just for like a you know a job you kind of go into day but turns into you've got to leave everybody for for a few weeks men have had to do the same thing wasn't easy for them as well I guess yeah we didn't get the the build up we wanted but we still have the people we want so I, I just yeah I don't know I just back it no matter what happens obviously I'm Chiefs Manoa hard if anyone doesn't have a team <laughs> yet it's Haere Mai to Chiefs Manoa um, we will welcome you with open arms and they've welcomed all us players and 
you know, the Chiefs' mana, it sounds like some people think it's just like a media thing, but it's actually, it's legit, man. Like all the, you know, the processes, the kawa, the tikanga that they, che- that they teach there is really powerful. And I'm, I feel really lucky, um, you know, to have got the insight there at that, at that franchise. So, yeah, it's, it's just like everyone else, we've had our struggles, but been totally solution focused and we are driven in the women's game to really make this happen like this is just you know my dream is that we have the best premier 15s competition in the world for women which is a big call because there's a couple of good ones up in Europe and that players from around the world you know they come and they push for a spot over here and and they make us better so yeah I've, I've got big visions for this competition and this is step one so yeah just if we get on that field, that will be, I'll be celebrating for sure. So cool. And you mentioned mana. And I think that's something that I've really noticed about the, the teams that you play and the culture, the spirit. It's really, really strong within the women. How important is that to you? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I do play with a lot of players that kind of share the similar beliefs. Um, Alan Bunting is the head coach of Chiefs Manoa, and he, he's been, you know, best coach I've ever had. He's been our sevens coach for the last 10 years alongside me. And and a couple of the other sevens girls, and he just, he just, he's one of those guys, like, he doesn't talk the talk, he doesn't care about awards, he just cares that his players are okay, and I swear he doesn't even really care about the outcome, obviously, you know, his head kind of rolls if he doesn't get the results, but he just, he genuinely makes sure that players are all right, and I just, oh, personally, I can just say that I, I wouldn't play for a team that you know, I didn't believe in the culture and I've, I've been very close to playing for other teams, but I just, I wasn't really 100% convinced. And so when Bunch rang me, I just knew, oh, at least no matter what happens, I'll, I'll experience some sort of success because we're all going to be, you know, happy and, and, and regardless of result, we're going to give our all because we're going to buy in and we'll believe in it. So yeah, culture's huge to me. I just think, and just like in life, in sports, you go through so many ups and downs, so if your culture's really, really good and there is mana there, you know, it, it's it's like it doesn't really matter what happens and it does kind of turn into a family unit. It's probably like any job, like, you know, probably your job you, when you believe in the media company you're working for. It's just like you just do better. Totally. It's just a self-fulfilling, isn't it? How do you get that within a, a team or how do you make sure that stays within the teams that you are in? It's funny, I always get asked, like, oh, how do you make a great culture? And it's, I wish there was some, somebody, you know, just easy recipe. You can just we need it, we of, want it. Yeah, what yeah. is it? <laughs> um, but I, I guess, you know, you come across people in your life and in your mahi that you learn pretty quick that they are a walker of their talk. And, you know, they'll say, oh, we'll do this, we'll do this. But then things happen and they don't do it. And I guess when Bunch rung, I just, I know I'm, I know him, I know the players, he's going to play, you know, like Stacey Fuller, Portia Woodman, Kelly Brazier, like, I already know them so well, I just know that, you know, it's it's going to be great, and I think that trust that we've built up over the years, you know, honest conversations, um, you know, I've, I've walked into Bunch's office many a times, why the heck is, are you doing this, and he'll never shy away from that, you know, he, oh, look, let's have a meeting, let's sit down, let's talk about it for as long as we need to, let's get it all out in the open, um, and you just build that trust and respect that becomes mutual, and then, yeah, you just you just know that he's, he's going to do what he says, and I know not all coaches or bosses are like that, but I know that he prioritises it, so I guess if you find those people, 
especially you know if they're higher up or they're starting their own thing and they want you on board and you know that they're good people like good humans first and foremost i would i'd follow that person you know to to be a to be a good leader you've got to be a good follower as well and so choose wisely who you follow into battle choose wisely who you follow with their visions um and yeah magical things happen I guess that's about surrounding yourself in that case with the right people and that comes with time. Talk us through your first Olympic gold medal. How does that measure up as a highlight? Oh, pretty, pretty tough to measure up. <laughs> I, I saw you had Twiggy on um, not long ago and her gold medal, you know, that was pretty special coming forth mm-hmm. all those Olympics, retiring a couple of times and then come back in the gold and she got her gold um, a couple of days before us and I remember she just had this, because we were in Rio together too, and she just had this like knowing about her in Tokyo. And I was like, man, that's, that's pretty special. And, and we were walking out on our final day of competition. So we had um, a couple of, couple, oh, we had one quite bad game and we didn't play so well. And, you know, first two days had kind of gone. Day two went well, but the finals day is where it all happens. And so we're walking out of the New Zealand Tower, um, had breakfast, we're leaving as a team. And Twiggy was coming, Emma Twig was coming back from breakfast. And obviously she's just on cloud nine. And we, you know, what do you, like, I don't know. I always think, find it interesting what people say in kind of moments like that. And she could have just been like, oh, good luck. Or like, you know, say anything like that. But someone who had just won a gold medal and gone through what she'd gone through, I'll never forget what she said when we walked past she stopped and she clapped, you know, like the rest of the New Zealand team supporting each other. But just as I walked past, she kind of, we looked at each other and she was like, go on girls, go and get what's yours. And we were like, oh, that's like, you know, just Spine tingling someone, gives me, yeah, so coming gives from me someone goosebumps. Who just, yeah, someone who had just done it, it was like, wow, she, you know, there's not many people who kind of understand what you're doing on that day and in that moment. And she understood to a T and she didn't say good luck. She didn't say try your best. She didn't say, you know, go girl she just looked us in the eye no not too over aroused or anything and just said go and get what what is yours and I was like wow that's actually what we're doing like we've been on this journey for 10 11 years some of us and you know Rio was a bit of heartbreak can still could still taste it in my mouth and it was like no I'm, I'm not here to give it my best I'm not here for luck I'm here to bloody go get what's ours you and know? you did get a silver medal then which was pretty good so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. but you wanted that gold you really wanted that gold yeah, 100%. So that gold medal, like it was just absolutely transcending the feeling to win. But it, I don't know, it's hard to explain. Like, I know you need a win to get the gold, but getting the gold was not about really the medal. It was just about our whole journey. And, you know, when it counted, we actually made it through and, and did what we knew we could do. So it was just a whole lot of, whole lot of emotion, really. And I'll, I guess it measures up to the tip top of the career just because of the journey man it was just hectic like it's just been hectic so yeah it was was so beautiful oh we were so proud of you and you know you're a real fan favorite we saw some awesome post-match interviews the bbc (laughs) etc you know what do you think when you're talking to the media in those sort of post-match interviews you just tell it like it is and it's just why i think you're so popular would you say that yeah it's funny like when it blew up because i was like what what's going on because it was just kind of me like just chatting you know I didn't I didn't um, think too much of it and I was even like to the girls what what's going on they're like right just being you like that that's all like you know there's so many cliches I guess out there but I I do think put I put that down to our team and we creating environment where we encourage everybody to be their authentic selves and 
you know, my psychologist, David Gilbreth, he's like, you know, there's the, well, he, he swears a lot, so I'm trying not to swear, but, <laughs> you know, there's the the not real world and where you're kind of lying to yourself, you're kidding, the kidding yourself world, we'll say, and then there's like the the true world, like the real world, and the more you can step over into who you truly are, like, the you know, the more you get out of life, so definitely in Tokyo that was at the forefront of all of our minds and you know I just I remember having a mindset it doesn't matter who I'm talking to could be a kid on the side of the stadium with you know for the Kitakushu newsletter or BBC you know biggest immediately in the UK which I did not realize at the time (laughs) Um, (laughs) it doesn't matter who it is like I'm just gonna give them you know that hold that space with them in that moment and you know we're here to connect we're human so I think it's um it's just a beautiful thing and and yeah I just guess we connected and it was it was great and I just just chatted to her like I would a friend and yeah just kind of blew up and I think that's it you are your true authentic self on and off the field and that and that's really important for your game how do you psych yourself up into each game you know is there something you do specifically before a game that really gets you ready to go I think as your career develops probably similar in media too you realize kind of what athlete you are and some need to get like need to hype themselves up and get worked up and they're quiet people but I'm I've actually learned I'm the opposite I'm I'm always high in life I'm always full of energy and mine's actually you know come on Reeves come come down (laughs) focus like put the energy where you need to put it so I remember my debut well it was a blur but you know I just threw myself into everything I was tackling people that weren't my people to tackle I was throwing myself (laughs) you know like I was just everywhere and everything and so I learned like, oh, wow, I've actually got to focus all that energy. So mine is definitely um, heaps of breath work. Like no matter where you're in the world or whatever your situation is in that moment, you can always send yourself with breath. I think that's really, really special. Um, so yeah, a few deep breaths, um, visualization to, to t- show myself and tell myself where I'm going to focus that energy. Um, and yeah, just, just staying really present. It's, yeah, it's funny. Some people got to hype themselves up. I've got to actually come down and focus. Yeah, it's great <laughs> to figure it out what, what yeah. you need to do before a game. Let, you're talking about a bit of your backstory. I want to talk about that, of uh, how you came to the game. You were just out of high school. You looked out of your dorm window and you saw some women throwing a ball around. Is that, is that how it happened? And you really wanted to be a silver fern, didn't you, and play netball? Yeah, as a kid, I think a lot of like a lot of Kiwis. I moved around heaps, actually, and I just played whatever sport was at that school at the time. Um, but I never, ever looked twice at rugby. Like I did, I played it a couple of years, but I was just like, oh, like I don't want to be an all black. Like I can't be an all black. So it was always silver ferns. I was always trying to play in the netball team all through high school. Wilhelmina Davu, I looked up to. Casey Williams, Nee Williams, she's corporal now. I just really wanted to be a silver fern. And then I made like Canterbury Academy at high school for the for netball with a friend. And I thought that was me. And I was, you know, looking to sign up for a netball club when I moved over to uni. And then, yeah, in, in my uni hall, I w- it was right next, it was at uni halls in Canterbury Uni, it's right next to Island Fields. And yeah, I just got asked to come over one time and I was like, oh, it's right there. Like, I don't have to catch the bus to netball. It's not such a mish. Um, and I remember I went down and I just couldn't believe my eyes that there were, you know, there's a, there were more than 15 women who played rugby. Like, I, it sounds silly now because it's so common, but back then it was just like, I didn't know it existed. I, I didn't know women's rugby even was a thing. Um, and so, yeah, I remember just being totally bewildered. And then all these black ferns rocked up. And I was just like, I'm out here trying to play club so I can make the silver ferns. But, if, but playing women's rugby, you can play club and play next to like 
World Cup winning Black Ferns every week at club. Like it was just like, this is insane. It was like a whole new world. So yeah, it was it was a no-brainer in the end. Yeah. And you absolutely loved it. You had your second hand pair of $20 rugby boots. Is that right? Yeah. And then you just were well, you were off and you said, This is it. I found my calling. Yeah, good old trade me. I I mean, I didn't know how far I was gonna get in rugby, but um, yeah, just bought bought some old boots. I assume that's the boots you could you buy, you know, to know what kind of boots you're supposed to buy. Um, pick them up and had a jam and they were I remember in, like trying to crack netball, it was quite you know, it was quite intimidating, excuse me, it was like, you didn't know anyone and everyone was real competitive, but in women's rugby, I guess, because numbers are so low, they were just so welcoming, and like, I remember Kendra Coxedge, because she was in Varsity Wipers, that first team, she's an absolute legend of the game, and she'd always say to me, like, Ruby, just run around them like you're fast, you know, like, just real <laughs> basic things, she, they're just really encouraging, and no one was ever like, oh, you're going to take my position, it was just like, nah, if you're keen, like, we're keen to help, and I was so keen to, like, learn, it was just, yeah, it was, it was, I relished the opportunity. And I love it that, you know, a lot of people think you've got to start sport young. You've got to be playing, you know, sport by your five or else you're never going to make a team. And here's you, you finished high school and you pick up a rugby ball and away you go. So I guess it's a good thing to know for other kids out there that, you know, you don't have to start from when you're five or six years old. No, 100%. And I think all the, you know, all the All Blacks books that are out there, it's all of the way. Oh, since I was five years old, wonderful black. It's just not like that for the girls. Like, if you ask all the black friends now, there's probably Kendra, like, there's probably only a couple that even had that in the back of their mind. Like, most of us, we're just good athletes that, you know, wanted to find a sport where we could do really well at. And rugby was sitting right there the whole time. So, no, it's, it's definitely never too late. And, you know, Portia Woodman had jumped over from, netball she was in the mystics she was in the silver friends camp so she made it way further than i did and she still come over and chose footy so it's and i always say to girls who are unsure like if you're unsure about 15s you trust me you'll really love sevens it's it's a so much space the same it's actually the same amount of people as netball except there's this whole rugby field you know so it's it's not crash and bash it's actually footwork speed and skill um so i think a lot more wahine and aotearoa would love sevens you know they just need to give it a crack totally totally and so when did you realize you know wow i can actually play at the top level i could actually be a black fan when did that sort of moment sink in it was definitely that, that first year at uni. I, I remember talking to a couple of my best mates about it. Like, oh, girls, I really don't know what to do. Because it was at one stage I was playing rugby on a Saturday and netball on a Sunday. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I was I was working heaps of jobs to pay for the uni hall. I was, I was studying as well. You kind of forget that, don't you, when you're a uni student? You've got to still <laughs> study. Um, so I just was like, oh, man, i I got to focus on one. I don't know what to do. And then playing next to Black Ferns and then Varsity hadn't won in years. Sydney were like kingpin at, in those days um, and they had heaps of Black Ferns as well and I remember we we beat them in the round robin and then they beat us and then we had them in the final and there were just, like these women were huge Wendy, like I'm, I was, I'm, I'm quite muscly now, I was not when I was 18, like I was a stick, I had no muscle on me and I remember in the final it was such a close game and the girls were just like, we we're all pumping each other up. And I, you know, I remember scoring a couple of like tries at, I don't know, we were quite audacious, I thought. I was out on the wing. And we ended up winning and we won the whole club comp. And it was the first time in years we had. And I was just like, man, if this is just the beginning, like there must be something here, you know? So I, I decided to stop going to netball 
and then that year was the World Cup, so the, a lot of the black friends left, but there was a Canterbury team that kind of just made itself. We didn't have any support. We just made ourselves, rung up the other unions, do you want to play, like that kind of thing. And I made that team, and then I made this, I made the starting team at centre outside of Midia Rule, who was like the best woman drug plant on the planet in, you know, 2006, like end of, end of the oh, 2000s. And I was, I'm sitting there running holes off her, and I was just like, nah, this is incredible. Like, if this is, if this is nine months, imagine nine years. Like, you know, I just, I just fell in love with it. And when I found Sevens, which was the same that summer, I was like, what? There's a, there's a game where the Fords aren't even in the way. You know, like it was <laughs> it just that blew my mind, and that was just the absolute nail in the coffin. Like, I'm doing this. I'm giving this a really good crack. So good. And look, you mentioned you, you know, having heaps of jobs. Give us a, an idea of how hard it is to play at such a high level, but not be a professional athlete. You know, you're spending a lot of time fundraising for the sport. You know, how tough was it sort of back then, you know, 10 years ago? Yeah, it's funny because I guess you could describe it as tough, but I just thought it was, you know, a whole lot of fun. Now, there was no um, New Zealand National Sevens team when I started um, just because the funding, you know, wasn't there yet. So if you wanted to play Sevens internationally, you kind of, you found a team. Um, there was a New Zealand Aotearoa team up in Auckland, but we down in Christchurch made our one called Kusa. Um, and I knew the coaches and you had to trial kind of every week and we had to fundraise, you know, like we did quiz nights and just selling all sorts of stuff and making money just to get the airfares. And then you'd travel to a tournament somewhere. And if you won that tournament, you'd get enough to fund for the next one. But if you didn't win the tournament, you had to start your fundraising all over again. And um, yeah, I mean, it was harder um, in terms of the life I live now, but at the same time, I was this young kid following a dream. And, you know, when, you're, when you've got a dream and aspirations, it, it was just kind of funny. Like, it was just kind of fun, you know, like I was working all these jobs, pay for uni and then studying at uni and then just starting out at rugby. So I was always down there by myself, chucking against the pole because I couldn't pass for bloody bollocks. Like, I was so bad. <laughs> I, I'd only learned how to pass with netball, you know, it's quite different. <laughs> Um, so yeah, just the hours, there were hours and hours and hours put into it, but it was, it's just putting in hours into a dream. And I just, I can't say I regret a single second cause we've just blown up. Like it's just been totally a very up. big run. Yeah. So yeah. You, you could say tough, Wendy, but I, it was, it was um, character building. Keeps you grounded. And what about when you did become a contracted professional? What did that, well, that must've been a dream as well. That was huge. Like. I remember that was one of the reasons I chose to focus on sevens as opposed to fifteens. Was you know the Olympics was an absolute game changer and a catalyst in the fact that if you join a sport to the Olympics, it's it's a, it has to be male and female. Like there's at the Com Games, you can have men's sevens but no women's sevens and women's netball but no men's netball. At the Olympics, it doesn't work like that. You have to have um, gender, you know, the same Equality. sport. So the fact that sevens was going to be the Olympics was huge like that was huge for women's rugby because we knew we had a really solid case now you know we, we could sit down and you know Rob Nickel and the Players Association was huge just in the process like we for the first time women's rugby got a shot at having a process to have collective bargaining you know like that was it was just huge like absolutely life-changing and you know now we've got it's it's been a good 10 years since because I played for Canterbury it's been a good 10 years since someone else from Canterbury has come out and we've just signed um, Georgia Miller from Canterbury this this year and like the fact that she's just come out of school she's excelled in rugby her whole schooling life and now she you know signs a dotted line and she gets paid to just train every day like it's just 
you know, it makes me emotional. Like I could cry because it's, it's just, it's huge. Yeah. Because you are part of that change and, you know, it must be awesome to know that you're changing, literally changing the game that girls can dream of being a black fern and it is a professional career. Uh, How proud are you of what, what that, what that, what does that feel like? It must feel awesome. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because I remember when we first started, the older girls were a bit rougher like but um you know they weren't as um optimistic I guess and you know we kind of sounded like we're on the piss or something just saying oh we want to you know we want to be professional rugby players and it just was like bro there's no way like there's no way um because they've obviously their whole career they, they dealt with a lot harsher comments from the men's game and you know some prize giving some of the stuff that the guys would stand up to say were quite appalling really and you know they had to deal with all that but I don't know. I was just one of those crazy, optimistic, keen as young woman coming through, and I, I didn't care if if we got ten no's as long as we got one yes at the end of the day, and we just kind of kept going at it. I guess my I had a little bit of um, young naivety, and it just kind of helped with the optimism. Um, so yeah, to to finally see kids coming out of school and signing contracts, it's just like, oh, it's it's actually mind boggling. It's uh, yeah, it's dreams dream come true and it's cool because it it's never really for you you know like when you when you're kind of trying to do your purpose and finding something it was it's never so we had an easy run or you know the, the woman before us I just I really hope that they're proud you know absolutely they should be proud you've all been mm-hmm. forging the way but I think that optimism that you say you've got and that positivity really helps as well yeah definitely I just yeah I, I wanted to make the old girls proud and wanted to show New Zealand we can really do some create some special moments for the country yeah it's great and you're prolific on mental health which is so much about what we need right now why is mental health so important for you yeah I mean it is really important to me but I think if people kind of looked really deep it would be important to them too Um, I think it's actually what makes us human and if we didn't talk about or embrace or acknowledge or become aware of emotions and mental health we might as well just get a whole lot of bloody robots to do our job you know you'd be listening to robots on podcasts just talking about what they do all day so <laughs> it sounds pretty boring doesn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so I think it's you know connectivity and relatability is what makes us human it's what makes us special and diving into that it's really really purposeful and I think it creates positivity and you know I used to think the goal was to just be happy all the time. But the truth is to understand the good times, you've you got to understand and acknowledge and accept the bad ones. And, and I guess people, including myself, sometimes get a little bit scared of that and that's tough and that's rough. But if we can create tools to get through the bad, not only do we get back to the good, but we appreciate the good even more. Um, and so I think, you know, if we talk about, oh, you want to help the world and change the world, make it a better place, 100% starts with yourself. Um, and I just, I've just seen such beautiful moments in, in life and it's, it's all come down to just sharing love, you know. And so I think mental health is a really, really cool place to start. And if anybody's ever struggling, it's usually, it's usually that, you know. It's, it's not like things happen in the world that never happen. You know, hard times come, people pass people in relationships it just it always comes so mental health for me is a way that I can constantly work on myself um, spread positivity and connect with people which I think is you know kind of the point in life so yeah it's just it's a huge huge passion of mine um yeah and I you know I think looking into my childhood as well 
bringing up stuff there if you look into the hard stuff it actually shows you it shines a light on part of your purpose in life um so yeah going through hard stuff moving around heaps as a kid it, um it really opened my eyes to oh well i've been i went through that so now maybe i can help with that yeah so yeah because you had a tough upbringing and you talk about how you went to a women's refuge shelter with your mum. And, you know, why do you feel like you want to share that journey? I guess, as you say, it's about opening it up and making it okay to talk about for other people. Yeah. And I mean, oh, geez, I just feel like lots of interviews love talking about it. I talk about it once, hey, and now everyone, <laughs> <laughs> everyone, they always want to talk about it, but it's, it's totally fine. I'm totally at peace with it. Um, but yeah, I, I spent a little bit of time. It was only short few weeks in a woman's refuge down the west coast and um you know my mum had to end a relationship and I'm so proud of her um it really had a massive effect on my life what she did and but I don't want to sit here and um judge people who are stuck in bad relationships because I know that is not easy and it's definitely not as simple as okay we're out you know it just doesn't work like that so yeah I I had that experience and it's actually given me a huge purpose in life I'm always trying to um, give back to women's refuge or to charities just because I've had first-hand experience that they really do help and change lives you know for, for certain people and I think you know that's that's valid for any human in this whole world like if you think about something you've gone through um, you know whether it's um, say for example somebody's dad passes away through a stroke you can work with the Stroke Foundation. Like, how cool is that? You get to give back and you always will give your best because it's part of your why. And it's a really, you know, it's coming straight from your heart. So it's, things happen in our life, but that can actually turn into something really beautiful and positive. So yeah, that's definitely what I've tried to do. And the more I look into who I am and why I am the way I am, I thought, you know, it's scary when you first look at it from a superficial, superficial point of view. But as soon as you go deeper, you're just like, man, I'm really proud of you, Ruby. You know, <laughs> like, Yeah, totally. That's yeah, awesome. So oh, well, thank you for sharing that. What if you were to go back and look back at your, say, 15 year old self now, what would you tell someone that was 15 that was a little young Ruby, a 15 year old Ruby? What would you say to help that 15 year old? I would say I love you, Ruby. I'm proud of you, Ruby. And you know, there are really good people out there and I know you can see them. You get that good little gut feel about those people. Um, stick with those people. If um, people show you love, that's that's your guiding light. Um, and that little feeling in your gut, it's called your intuition. And it's a beautiful thing. And one day you're going to transform intuition into intention and everything's going to be beautiful. So just keep doing new every fail you had have is an important lesson so yeah and I'd give her a big hug oh that's awesome and you've just <laughs> turned is this right you've just turned 30 um, did yeah, you yeah, celebrate don't, don't say it too loud so young so young did you celebrate <laughs> yeah I did actually I was very lucky I got a little window in between COVID and um <laughs> yeah my, my mom came and we had a little bit of a shindig and I I got everyone in a room that I actually truly loved and you know when you stand up for speeches and you you kind of got to be quick because it's an event it was like my birthday so I got to I stood up and I've never seen this at a party but I really wanted to do it and I said I individually said thank you to every single person in the room just because it was this you don't you just do not get those moments in life very often and so no it was so special and it, and you look out like you know I was looking at all these people it's like I just would not be where I am without all these people. Like it's so, it's just such a, those moments are so precious. So yeah, I felt so blessed to be able to celebrate that. I bet that was super emotional. And so then I guess the lastly, what is next? I mean, you know, what's next on the horizon past Orpiki? What's, what's next for you? 
wow, Wendy, this is <laughs> the 2022 is hands down the biggest year women's rugby had has ever had, like ever, ever, ever. Um, 2021 was Olympics. Obviously, that was beautiful, amazing, but all it was was the beginning. Um, now this year we have the inaugural Sky Super Rugby Opuki that we talked about. We have the Commonwealth Games, which um, you know we'll be trying to defend the huge title. That, and and I tell you, Fiji, Australia, and Great Britain, they are on top at the moment, and they're all in the Com Games. So I have no idea what's going to happen there. And <laughs> on top of that, we've got the World Cup for sevens and the World Cup for fifteens. So I don't know how the heck we're going to do this four pinnacle events in one year it's never happened before never been done before I can't tell you what team I'm gonna make and what team I won't but there's there's a lot of women rugby players like me who understand how huge this year is we've had a couple of women you know just push out their retirement a little bit um, because it's just it's gonna be phenomenal and groundbreaking with COVID checking its little spin in there you know making things a little bit more um, wavy we'll say yeah, so it's it's a huge 12 months for women's rugby. If you're a rugby fan or a New Zealander, I'd keep a very close eye. Um, I would also encourage everybody to buy tickets to the 15s World Cup because guess what? It's right here in Aotearoa. That's also never been done before. Um, so, yeah, the calendar's pretty chocker. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm exhausted already and has only just begun. <laughs> yeah, so so hang tight. It's going to be a bloody entertaining roller coaster i can tell you that oh we can't wait to see a watson store thank you so much for joining us today ruby thank you so much for having me wendy i appreciate any sort of exposure for women's rugby so i appreciate you very much right now and sending you a lot of love now i'm here and thank you so much thank you